how did we get this way? They call it the Protestant work ethic. This weird Northern European, North American drive to do more, more, more. To achieve more, more, more. This drive for efficiency and brilliance. And it got us all this. It got us the Industrial Revolution. The greatest cities, the wealthiest nations, the power and the glory. But somewhere it did go very wrong. The reformers, those original Protestants, didn't have any of this in mind. They wanted to reclaim the dignity of honest labour. They wanted to tell us that the farmer in the field is no less honouring to God than the monk in his monastery. They wanted to tell us that work has dignity, that work is good. But this idea that our work, our busyness, defines who we are, that it gives us worth, they could never have envisioned this. Because we have kind of made a god out of our work, out of our busyness. It has become our meaning, our security, our identity, our value, and our worth. And we really don't know what it looks like to step off that treadmill. What are these things that drive us? What is this baggage that we've confessed to God that now weighs down that life? We're scared that if we have nothing to do, then our life would cease to matter. That it provides us a, a comfort blanket of busyness and self-importance. Perhaps it's our restlessness. Perhaps we're not restless because we're busy. We are busy because we're restless. Perhaps we're afraid of silence. That keeping busy means we don't have to face the emptiness that we feel inside. Perhaps it offers us a superficial, temporary legitimacy to our lives. Or perhaps we're just addicted to stimulus and excitement. It is in our world an acceptable addiction. In fact, it's hard to imagine how our city would function without it. This busyness is like a drug. It seems like a social necessity. Addictions, of course, are really hard to break. But from time to time, we do break it. Perhaps when we come back from holiday, refreshed, granted perspective about our lives, about who we are and what is important... Perhaps we have those moments of clarity and we swear it will be different this time. But three days later, it has evaporated. And it's almost as if we push it on each other, like we're dealers in narcotics. Because we need other people to be busy. And we say to people, what have you done this week? Tell me something of worth to make your life significant. (laughs) How did we get this way? Do you remember the passage we looked at a few months back now? Um, an astonishing passage from Deuteronomy, where God was talking to the people of Israel about how they should work. Let me read it to you. This is Deuteronomy 24. God said, when you harvest your grain and you forget a sheep back in the field, don't go back and get it. 
Instead, leave it for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow, so that God, your God, will bless you in all your work. And when you shake the olives off the tree, don't go back over the branches a second time and strip them bare. What is left is for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And when you cut the grapes in your vineyard, don't take every last grape. Leave a few for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Don't ever forget that you were slaves in Egypt, and I command you to do what I am telling you. Such words are heresy in our society. God is essentially telling his people to be inefficient, essentially to be bad farmers, forgetful farmers. When you leave a whole sheaf of wheat, leave it there. It's okay. It's for someone else. When you go over your olive trees, don't do it particularly well. (laughs) When you're picking your grapes, it doesn't matter if you don't get them all. But of course it's rooted in the belief that all of those things are a blessing from God. That it is he who provides the harvest, he who provides for our needs. And so we don't need to desperately imagine we need to pick up every last thing. The blessings of God don't go into recession. And so he says... Leave the margins unworked. Leave parts of your work, parts of your time, and parts of your life for the sake of others. For the orphan, for the foreigner, and for the widow. Because the person, or the people, who we steal from when we cram every last minute of our lives with busyness, are those on the margins, those in needs. The people who get squeezed out of our busy lives are the people who can't shout loud, who can't make demands on our time, who can't tell us to do things. God says, says, leave space and use it for the sake of those who don't have a voice. God, in his word, says live inefficiently. Live slowly. How do we get that? You know, at the heart of our faith is the belief that our relationship with God is based not on what we do, but simply on faith in Him. Simply on trust. If there is one piece of doctrine which is right at the centre of who we are, it is that belief that we are made right with God because we trust Him, not because we earn it. And yet somehow we live our lives completely different to that. And what I'm asking of you and of myself, first and foremost here, is an act of faith. That we are not going to be able to step off that treadmill, to get off the merry-go-round, to set ourselves free from the baggage that we carry without a choice, without a decision to believe that we are worth something, not because we've earned it, but because of God. We are important, not because we do a really valuable job, but because we are made in the image of God. What I'm asking you to do tonight is to make that choice to believe. To believe that you matter. To believe that you are made in the image of God. To believe that the only thing that you need to prove to anybody is that it is love that makes the difference. And then I want to start to try and imagine another way. 
another way founded on that act of faith. I want us to try and make some choices about how we live in the midst of this city. Because surely, of all people, we should be different. We should be able to stand apart from the manicness that goes on around us. And to be in some ways a prophetic voice in our city. When instead, all too often, we get sucked in just like everybody else. We do not need to be victims of this. We can offer another way. And perhaps the second thing I would like you to do is commit yourselves to one another. There's a lovely moment at the pinnacle of the book of Galatians. This uh, remarkable piece of theology wrestling with the whole question of what it means to be spiritual, what it means to be right with God, what it is that God wants of us. And the pinnacle of that book is this. Paul writes, carry each other's burdens. And in that way, you fulfill the law of God. That is it. At the pinnacle of that piece of theology, he says, carry each other's burdens. And so the second thing I'm asking of you tonight is that we make a commitment to one another that we do carry these burdens for one another. Let us commit one another, commit ourselves to helping one another to keep work in its right place. Now don't get for a minute the idea that tonight we're saying work is not a good thing. Work is a great thing. Work does provide dignity. Work does matter. Remember that God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the Garden of Eden before the fall. But work needs to be in its right place. God called them to a right balance of work and relationship and rest. Our problem is not that work is a bad thing. It is that it has expanded out of all proportion to all of the other things. And part of growing in grace is to know when to work and when to rest. My question is, whatever happens at the Sabbath? I know, and if you've been around church for a while, that we had a bit of a fuss a few years back. And I think very rightly we wanted to say, the Sabbath doesn't have to be a Sunday. It is okay to wash your car on a Sunday. It's okay to have a game of football. It's okay to go shopping. We had to kind of fight that ridiculous moralising which insisted that Sunday was God's day. Because of course every day is God's day. But somehow in that process we lost the whole concept of Sabbath. Of one day devoted not simply to God but to life as God intended it. One day devoted to rest and to relationships. We need to learn to guard a Sabbath day. So make a choice that one day is going to be different from all of the others. A day to slow down, to take inventory. A day perhaps to be spontaneous. Whatever happened to the Sabbath? Secondly, I'm picking up on one of the things that Camille talked about. The idea that we learn to do one thing at a time. To be kind of present in any given moment. To give it our undivided attention. And particularly when that's about people, to actually focus on that conversation and that, per- or that person without whatever else happens. The way we drift off, off and think of other things that we're responsible for and other things that we do. Or that great curse of the mobile phone. Why is it that if someone phones me up in the middle of a conversation with a human being, 
the phone takes precedent? Why do I say, excuse me if I take this? How about, no, I don't take this? How about I exist in this place, in this conversation, and let that remarkable invention, the answer phone, <laughs> do its job? Yeah. Or what about this for an idea? How about you turn off your phone? How about you imagine being disconnected from the world? Or that world that we imagine for an hour how about we have times when our phone is on rather than it being on all the time? Because you know what? People can actually cope with the idea that you get back to them a couple of hours later rather than the fact that you're there every second of the day. How about we learn to turn our phone off for chunks of time? I promise you, you won't lose anything. You won't miss anything important. Because in actual fact, what we do is we treat our phones like a drug. Like it's going to provide us something exciting or stimulating, something better than what I've got right now. And it's a nonsense. How about we learn to turn our phones off as a statement of the fact that we value the person we're with. And then on that passage, how about we learn to be inefficient with our time? How about we schedule gaps between doing things? So instead of packing our day full of events and meetings and social occasions, how about you block off half an hour and an hour between them and walk between meetings? Or arrive early and sit and be still? We're reflecting on this idea of decelerating, of slowing down in the city. Because we believe that our mad busyness is robbing us of the life that God intended for us. We're doing this because we believe that we want to try and, not only for ourselves, but for our friends, for our world at large, to model a different way of life. We do this because we look at Jesus, and we're inspired that his life of all lives mattered, and was significant, and made a difference. But he didn't run madly from meeting to meeting. So I call to you, is that together we learn to walk a little more slowly through this life. That we learn to look around and reflect as we walk. To see our busyness as the addiction that it is. To make choices about what matters and what doesn't. And to be passionate about the things that matter and to leave the rest. Our call is to learn to live slowly. Because that's the thing that will help us to be the people of God. To be a place where it's clear that relationships matter. That it's clear that we believe that love is the thing that makes the difference. And so how I want us to respond to this is that we have written a liturgy of deceleration. And uh, it's an act of worship, uh, a declaration of faith, a proclamation of all that we are aspiring to. And uh, I'm going to ask you to join with me.